Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Welcome aboard, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check them out online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Borky, is your voice a little better today? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> as long it as you is, don't have to talk, right? Uh, well, I just had to, to cough there for a second, but it's recovering, yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, I know you had a fun trip, so welcome uh, welcome back. What's up on a Tuesday? Uh, not a whole lot. So it's my wife's birthday which is is good. She's 28 Happy for birthday, the, Katie. She's 28 for the second time. And we can't go above 28 for a little while. That's a that's a story for another day. Um and we also went to the baby doctor and have a, a real date. So unless something unexpected happens, we are going to go in a week from Friday and uh go ahead and start that process. All right, so the 18th, is that right? That is right, yeah. So it's just about a week early, but um, yeah. So we'll go in Thursday, and uh, she'll give us the all clear, and then Friday morning we'll go back in, and then, you know, they'll do their thing and make it happen. I, I just i am kind of in that place where everything this time of year that happens is marked by a football schedule. So <laughs> you're talking about the uh, the Friday before LSU travels to Starkville to take on Mississippi State and Ole Miss hosts Texas A&M. That's the weekend, yeah, which is obviously I'm way more excited about the baby coming, obviously. But well, yeah, that's a tough weekend to miss. Well, why are you going to miss it? Hospital has televisions. Oh, I guess that's true. My oldest get out of the NCAA point. tournament. Uh, I watch tournament games during the delivery. No, the delivery was at night anyway. But uh, no, uh, but you know, after all that was done, I was able to tune in for some games. There you go. Let's see. It was. Um, I get lost on presidential years. It would have been when Obi was born. November 6th of 2012 this is the day of the election so I was watching election returns in the uh, in the hospital I turned them off early I think <laughs> I mean a pretty much a foregone conclusion how it was going to shake out that night but uh, anyway 
So, yeah. So a week from Friday, that's real. Yeah, very real. She offered uh, Thursday, but I wanted Thursday. I want sooner. Everything's done. And it's not frustrating because it's still exciting, but we've done everything. There's nothing else we have to get, nothing else we have to buy. Literally everything is done. And so now we're just kind of sitting around, tapping our feet, you know, just waiting. And so... So why did you not decide on Thursday? Because we want to go get checked out one more time before we go. Well, okay. Fair enough. Might get changed to Thursday then. Yeah, see, I kind of have this daydream that we're going to walk in there and she'll be like, you know what, let's just go right now. And that would be, that'd be kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Uh, Rippy, what's up? Not a whole lot. No baby dates to worry about for you right now. Not that I know of. <laughs> oh, Jason. Hey, Dad, how are you on a Tuesday? Uh, same as Rippy. No baby dates that I'm aware of either, hopefully. Yeah. yeah well, we're, we are all in that category together, which is, uh, I think that's a good thing all the, uh, all the way around. So what's coming up this afternoon? Um, Monday Night Football last night. You had some pretty good baseball yesterday. One great game. I mean, the Cardinals-Braves game was the one that had all the suspense. Not a uh, not a lot of suspense in the Tampa Bay Rays win over the Astros. And was I honestly did not watch Nationals-Dodgers. Was it good? It was fine. It was close for a while. The Nationals kind of got after the Dodgers' third reliever. I can't remember who it was. Which you predicted. I just figured Scherzer, they would probably make it to a Game 5. Now you get Strasburg and Walker Buehler. Who's got the advantage there? Mm, it's really a flip of a coin. I mean, the Dodgers are probably because it's home better lineup, but pitching is probably a wash. Only one game tonight. It's on FS1, 607 first pitch. Astros at Rays. Justin Verlander going against Diego Castillo. I mean, obviously Verlander is the better pitcher there, and so you would say advantage Astros, but you never know. Rays are a good team. Won 96 games in the regular season. Astros, is conventional wisdom the Astros were the best team in baseball? Or are you going Dodgers? Probably the Astros, but it's close. Um, If you are a Yankees fan, then you are absolutely cheering for the Rays in this game because the Yankees clinched last night, and they've now beaten Minnesota 13 straight in the postseason. That question came up yesterday, how many of those losses out of 15 in a row, now 16 in a row, have been to the Yankees? 13 in a row to the Yankees in the postseason. But if you're able to force a game, if the Rays are able to force game five, that means the Astros go Justin Verlander today, and then two days would turn around and throw Garrett Cole, and that gets you a little bit deeper into the rotation. You don't see one of those, either of those guys in game one, most likely. Plus, you get a little extra rest, and they have to keep playing. Yeah, that would mean more games, obviously, certainly an advantage for the Yankees. Sorry, I thought you were going to add more than that. No, I mean, it seems about as simple as that. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow, two games. 
Cardinals Braves game five doesn't have the same ring to it as game seven, but it's the same idea. And you get a redo of the pitching matchup that was so good in Atlanta uh, on Friday with uh, Fultonevich throwing for the Braves and Jack Flaherty on the mound for the uh, for the Cardinals. So a really good pitching matchup in Atlanta tomorrow. And then as Rippy mentioned a second ago, Nats and Dodgers tomorrow night, Strasburg and Walker Bueller. That's the uh, the pitching matchup for a, uh, a deciding Game 5 in uh, in that series as well. Mentioned Monday Night Football last night. John Cox from the Southern Miss Radio Network will join us this afternoon. Southern Miss and North Texas coming up on Saturday. Uh, that should be a fun game in uh, in Hattiesburg. Southern Miss coming off the open date. Ben Ingram, who is the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, will join us. Tried to catch up with him last week, but it was on the eve of the uh, the start of the Braves Cardinal series, and uh, he got tied up with some media obligations. A uh, bunch of baseball conversation coming up uh, a little bit later this afternoon. We'll look at the lines for uh, all the games involving SEC teams and a few national lines as well. Lincoln Riley has said that uh, Oklahoma will not do anything to offend the University of Texas, and it's got Borky all worked up. Well, because he's only doing that because he was told it would be a point of emphasis from the officials. Yeah. Which is just absurd. But anyway, just ruining the fun in college football. That's the one thing the NFL gets right, is they after touchdowns, the celebrations are funny to me. They've all got their unique ones, like A.J. Brown takes money out of a vault and throws it up in the air, that kind of stuff. That's awesome. In college football, you can't even hold two of your fingers in a downward direction for a prolonged amount of time without getting 15 yards. And that's supposed to be the fun part. Well, I think it's the school more so than anything, because you see people do the gator thing all the time. Yeah, Texas has made a huge deal of how offended they are by uh, people giving the horns down signal, which is the most, I think it's the most Texas thing ever to uh, to let that really bother you. It bothered Mac Brown. Said that this needed to be a uh, an issue at the league level, that the Big Twelve needed to do something about uh, horns down. So uh, I guess they have. Uh, what's on the line this weekend for Ole Miss as they go to Missouri? What's on the line for Mississippi State as they go to uh, Tennessee? to Knoxville to take on the Tennessee Vols at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning at Neyland. We'll get into that and a, uh, a whole lot more. Um, let's jump in and talk some Ole Miss and Mississippi State football when we uh, when we come back. Just getting started with you, C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395, C Spire, customer inspired. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Mississippi State heads to Knoxville on Saturday. 11 a.m. kickoff at Neyland Stadium. Brian Haydad is making his uh, his debut trip to Knoxville for a uh, for a football game. They, um, are you, you're excited about that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Cross it off the list. Mississippi State is about a touchdown favorite in the game, six-and-a-half-point favorite. So we kind of started on this yesterday. It's going to go big picture. What, what are you looking for on Saturday? I think all of the uh, the, the suspended players will play. 
So I'm looking to see what the real MSU defense is. You know, what I saw in the first half against Kentucky, not that Kentucky's a, a great team or anything, but that was a pretty good defense. So I want to see, you know, I want to see what that defense looks like again. Um, this is a this is Tennessee's not a good team. They're just not a good team. Uh, I don't think State's a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they're better than Tennessee. So I just want to see, you know, some offensive consistency. I'm interested to see who the starting quarterback is, obviously. I think it's going to be Schrader, but I, I, you never know. Um, but but more than anything else, I just want I just want to see Mississippi State go on the road and, and, and you know, sort of play the way they did against Ole Miss a season ago. Ole Miss was not a good team when they got to the Egg Bowl, um, and State was playing pretty good, and they dominated the game. Can you do it again? Can you go on the road and dominate the game from the first snap against a team that really should be on the verge of giving up. So you said you think all of the suspended players play this week. I think so. Lee Autry has played in two games so far this year. Yes. If he plays on Saturday, that will leave, at least to the best of our understanding, only one game that he can play for in for the remainder of the year. Correct. Can Mississippi State afford to not play him again if he plays on Saturday against Tennessee until the Egg Bowl? Well, I mean, you're talking about probably playing him against Arkansas. So, yeah, I think they can go without him against Arkansas. Is Arkansas any different than Tennessee? That's a good question. Um, you know, Arkansas by that point in the year, Borky, as he'll know, that they'll be getting better at that point. Man, Arkansas um, is going to be a title contender by then. By then, yeah, you wouldn't want, you know, Clemson wouldn't want to travel to Fayetteville at that point. Oh no, um, I, I, that's a good question, um, but I just feel that Tennessee, I think Tennessee is more talented than Arkansas. I'll say that they're not playing better, but they're more talented. Okay. If Willie Gay plays on Saturday, will that only be the second game that he's played in? Correct. Yeah, he'd still have two more. Okay. Only Autry is the only one who's already played in in two. And that's because they chose to play him in the game against Southern Miss. Correct. From what I can tell, what I've been told from that is because football, the the, the violent nature of the sport, that the NCAA allowed some wiggle room in terms of player safety. So when MSU in that game was down to I mean, they had to move James Jackson from offensive to defensive line that week, they were down a couple of tackles. The NCAA allowed for a waiver that allowed Lee Autry to play in that game. I don't know that that was worth doing. I think he could have beaten Southern without him, but that's that's what the, the, the situation is. Hmm. And it, it doesn't exist for basketball. That's why Nick Weatherspoon is just sitting out. Um... <sighs> I guess I'm I'm, I'm still just trying. I mean, I understand. You understand. We all understand the importance that is placed on the Egg Bowl. But does it matter at all what happens between now and when Mississippi State faces Arkansas as to the decision as to whether or not you might play him against the Hogs versus saving him for the final game of the year with Autry? Yeah. Uh, no, because the average MSU fan, the ones who are going to you know apply pressure to Joe Moorhead, the Bobs and Bogachittas out there, uh, would want to win the Egg Bowl more. 
would be more interested in winning the Egg Bowl than securing bowl eligibility. Well, I mean, it, that game could go either way. I mean, State could come into the Egg Bowl. If they lose to Arkansas, they're... If they beat Tennessee but lose to Arkansas, they could be five and six either they're way. They're not so. losing to Arkansas, but you well, don't, don't want to. Either, but, but but you don't. I mean, I guess I feel like you don't risk that. I think it's a much bigger risk to risk the Egg Bowl. So so if they beat Tennessee, they get to four. Mm-hmm. Lose to LSU, lose to A and M. I'm just just playing it out. Maybe it no, works I, out I, this I way. Mean. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. right. You know Abilene Christian is there for five. Right. Why would you not use him against Arkansas to be sure that you get to six? That's a good question. But, I mean, I don't don't think Lee Autry is the difference between winning and losing against Arkansas. If Willie Gay plays on Saturday, and that's his second, and he's only got two remaining, who are the Mm -hmm. two that he plays against? Arkansas, Arkansas and Ole Miss? And Ole Miss, yeah. Okay. It's a fascinating deal. Yeah, I mean, it's just something you don't see very often, you know, and it's probably a good thing for college athletics. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting to me that, that the NCAA did allow Mississippi State the flexibility to kind of sit guys as they wanted to, as opposed to saying they're out for eight games. Yeah, they're out the first eight games of the year. But you they know, can play the, against the, Arkansas and Bama and Abilene Christian and Ole Miss. Good luck. I get where they're coming from on that though, because you know, if two linebackers were to get, you know, let's just say, knock on wood here, but if Errol Thompson and Leo Lewis were to get hurt and have season-ending injuries, you know, you're going to put people in harm's way unless you can put Willie Gay out there. So that's what the that's NCAA, what the process. That's is. not the NCAA's fault though. It's not they're the NCAA's not the ones fault, but they're but they are also. But they're also going to err on the side of caution when it comes to player safety if they can. To be fair, Ole Miss went into two games last year with 50 scholarship players. Well, you have. They weren't worried about health in that scenario. I mean, do you not agree? Are you asking me? Yeah, I don't know if they, I, I mean, at that point, what can you do? I mean, you got fifty guys on the roster. I mean, they're not going to say, "Okay, here's twenty more guys." So I don't know. No, I understand that, but I mean, the idea that the NCAA is really concerned about health—they—they they, well, what is I, the NCAA really? The NCAA is really concerned about making money. That's all the NCAA is really concerned about. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't sweat with the the NCAA makes decisions that are dumb. News at news at eleven. I mean, it's it's yeah. the same thing. They allowed Mississippi State the flexibility because they felt like Mississippi State cooperated with them. Could very well be the case, yeah. I, I don't think it has anything to do with player safety. Um, I mean, this is not like the North Carolina deal where you had five guys at the exact same position all get suspended, and they're like, oh, you can't feel it. I, I don't know. Anyway, what, it, what what is Saturday? Is Saturday must win? Yes, 100%, yes. Rippy, what's Saturday for Ole Miss? Opportunity, must win, free shot, need to win, doesn't matter. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a free shot because I feel like we as media, and I just mean like the industry in general, categorize like every single game that you're not favored to win and wouldn't be indicted necessarily for losing as a, quote, free shot. 
But, I mean, I guess it's a chance for them to have a signature win. Yeah. And actually have a realistic path to a bowl game. I mean, that a win would do a lot. So it would be a, a momentum-building win. There's a cliche that never gets used ever. Uh, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We will rewind to the beginning of the show uh, with regard to Texas and Horns Down. If you can't do Horns Down, then they shouldn't be able to do Horns Up. Texas squats to pee. Gosh. They don't say anything when the other team throws up a fin. Nor should That's not they. True. That's not true. What do you mean it's not true? When other teams do the fins up, I've seen flags thrown for that. Have you? Yeah, I have. Well, that's the exception as opposed to the rule then, because it I haven't seen it happen much this year, but certainly in the past it has. Yeah. Uh, Preston says, I'm being forced to attend a wedding that my wife is a part of at 5 o'clock on Saturday. The cabin has bad service, so I won't be able to watch football. Shoot me now. Hashtag ban fall weddings. Tell your wife to have fun and you'll see her after. Get sick. Still don't understand how they are still students, uh, uh, how they are still playing. Paying kids would have been expelled. That's just wrong. Johnny and West Point, what they should have done is sit them out the first half of your SEC games and not play at all in the rest. That's Johnny and West Point on the C Spire text line. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's go to Hattiesburg and check in with John Cox, the radio play-by-play voice of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. John, headline on the Southern Miss website, Jack Abraham named one of 20 finalists in the entire country for the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. About halfway through the season, as you've watched him play, how would you evaluate how good Jack has been this year? I think he's pretty good. I, you know, I think he's, he's probably underrated if you're just uh, you know looking at the statistics and stuff like that, although his statistics are pretty impressive, but... I think where he's most impressive is when you see him on the field. His, uh, you know, some of those intangibles, his his leadership uh, ability, the way the rest of the guys uh, kind of look up to him, and uh, you know, know they when they got the ball in his hands, they've got a chance maybe to do something. Uh, so uh, you know, he's he's had a great year. He really has, and uh, you know, he's done it. When you look at it, playing against uh, Mississippi State and Alabama and and Troy and some really good football teams. So uh, I'm excited for him. He's uh, he's a good guy in the classroom, on the football field, and a great leader of this team. So uh, it, it doesn't surprise me, and I'm excited for him. That's a, that's a great honor. Yeah, certainly is. Thrown for over 1,500 yards through five games, so averaging better than 300 yards per game, 2-1 to one in touchdown-to-interception ratio. And even though it's down just a tick, he's still basically right at 70% completion percentage, which is really what he's done for two years now. Yeah, I was looking the other day, you know, the, the NCAA does this uh, passing efficiency rating, and it's Southern Miss. I don't know the exact number, but uh, he's, I think Jack is right now about 155, 160, something like that. Uh, the best in the history of Southern Miss is, uh, one guy is Nick Mullins. He's about 135. Lee Roberts, about 135. You know, wow. so uh, he's got 
by uh, I don't know twenty or twenty five points, the best passing efficiency rating uh, of anybody that's ever played at Southern Miss. So uh, he's kind of sneaky, you know. He he's got a he's got a quick release. He's got a bigger arm than uh, people think, and you know when you got a, a group of receivers like the Golden Eagles are fortunate to have right now, a lot of opportunities for him to get the ball to guys down the field. I can't ever keep up with what makes those ratings up. You've got QBR in the NFL, which is a lower number, and then you see the college numbers. If this is what, if I'm looking at this right, John, Jack is at one seventy two point eight nine. Yeah, uh, look, yeah. that's yeah. just remarkable. And you know, when you like I said, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I think that's I don't know where that stands right now. I haven't looked this week in the NCAA statistics but i know it's up there pretty good so it's made up of you know uh you know for the passing percentage i think and uh you know yards you pass for and how many touchdowns you have in relation to interceptions all kinds of things but uh, regardless that's uh if that's the rating it's a pretty good one for jay john cox on your radio right now radio play-by-play voice of uh, southern miss athletics you, you were there i was not so all i've done is looked at box scores and kind of gone back and read about it it feels like Southern Miss kind of shut things down in the the fourth quarter against UTEP on a night where if they had wanted to continue to light up the scoreboard, they probably would have been able to. Is that the way it, it kind of looked to you as well? No, I think I think we kept the regulars in there uh, almost to the okay. end of the ball. I think they had a couple of opportunities there in the fourth quarter that they probably could have added a couple of more touchdowns and uh, just didn't did just didn't convert a couple of times. So. Uh, I think if they'd gotten one or two of those, one or both of those, that uh, you know that would have wound up being like a forty-five to thirteen game or something like that. But uh, you know, I think uh, that's probably one of the things the Golden Eagles have to uh, have to work on right now, both offensively and defensively, is, is maybe uh, being a little more consistent. They'll have some they'll have some spurts where you know they look really good, and then they'll have uh, some possessions where or maybe it'll self-destruct a little bit, or they'll make an error that'll they'll stop a drive before they can get in the scoring position. So, uh, but uh, you know, I, I like what they're doing. I think I think based on what I've seen that uh, they've gotten better. I think this open date that they've got right now or had last week came at a good time. Uh, heal some guys, get them healthy. Uh, you know, work on some of the little things that uh, maybe have kept them from taking that next step. But you just don't have time to, to do sometimes when you get game after game after game. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think they, they got the seven conference games left. I think they've got an opportunity to, you know, to, to, to finish strongly. They got another open date coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's funny how the schedule is broken down. I think it was five games open date, three games open date, and then four games. So, uh, it's kind of like the NFL with those, uh, open dates that they have. But uh, I like what I'm seeing out of this team right now. North Texas, the opponent this week, their wins are against Ab- Abilene Christian and UTSA. They were you know, pretty good in those two. Their losses, SMU, who has proved to be pretty good this year, mm-hmm. um, they lost to, to Cal out in Berkeley, but were better in the second half of that game, and then just couldn't stop Houston at all on the uh, the 28th of September. What, what's your take on this edition of North Texas? Well, I, I think they're pretty good. I, I think if you if you look a little deeper, they they've had some uh, they've had some injuries here in their right. first uh, uh, five four five ball games. Uh, but the one guy who hasn't been hurt is Mason Fine, their quarterback, who uh, you know I, I think is one of the best in the country. I think he's in that group that you were talking about earlier too. 
uh, out of North Texas, Mason Fine. Man, he is a he's a guy that's uh, he has lit the Golden Eagles up passing the ball the last couple of years. He's a he's a guy that's uh, can cause all kinds of problems for. Them. They've got a talented team, but I think what may have held them back a little bit, like any team, is they've had some injuries at some key positions early on. So. Uh, I think the open date probably did them a lot of good, too. So I think when these two teams square off on Saturday night, it'll be two teams that are both contenders for the West Division title in Conference USA, but two teams are going to be healthy and ready to go after an open date. John, this feels like a game that's really, really important to both of these teams. You know, if you're thinking about trying to win the division and get to the the conference championship game, what kind of a buzz is there in Hattiesburg? Do you anticipate pretty good crowd, pretty good environment on Saturday night? Yeah, I think I think we're going to. I think that what I was looking at it earlier today. I think it's going to be a high of about seventy-one on Saturday, so it'll mm. it'll kind of for once feel like a little football weather instead of a you know a weekend at the beach or something where it's ninety-five degrees. So it it should be a great atmosphere. There's a pretty good buzz I think around around Hattiesburg and around uh, South Mississippi about uh, this matchup. I think the fans realize that the, both of these teams are you know uh, are teams that are going to be in the picture to decide who's going to not only win the West in Conference USA, but uh, maybe the conference title. And and so, uh, you know, you probably, I don't know that one loss hurts you, but uh, certainly here's an opportunity to, to beat one of the teams that you're uh, competing with. So I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. I think it could uh, very very easily be a, a fairly high-scoring ball game. You know, Jack Abraham, if, if Jack can get going like I think he will, and Mason Fine. Uh, can get going like he can for North Texas. It, it's got the the makings, I think, of an exciting ball game on Saturday night. John, got a minute or two left. If, if this turns into a, a game like you're talking about, and it's a one possession game late, what do you think the key would be for Southern Miss in order to to pull off this win? Well, I think I think uh, I think one thing that's is going to be a key for the Golden Eagles. I think each week. This, after I just talked about all the passing, I, I think one <laughs> one thing that they've gotten better at the last uh, few weeks than maybe the the opening couple of ball games is is the ability to run the football a little bit. Uh, you know, they made the move a few games back, moving uh, to Michael Harris from wide receiver, you know, back to running back, which is a position he played in not only in high school but also uh, at the Hines Community College. But you know, they've moved him back there, and he's he's if not the fastest guy on the team one of the fastest, and so he sort of uh, had to have a quick uh, renewal of what he knew about playing running back, but uh, him and then big Kevin Perkins, young guy out of Tunica and northwest Mississippi, the two of those guys have been handling the bulk of the running. Uh, so I think if the Golden Eagles can have some success uh, running the football, particularly late in the ball game, and then uh, Jack Abraham plays like I think he will, I think that might turn out to be one of the keys of the ball game. Southern Miss, nothing but conference games the rest of the way. We've got this one at home and then a trip to uh, Louisiana Tech, a road trip to Rice, and then an open date before they host UAB. Uh, big stretch of games coming up. John, always uh, appreciate your time. Good visiting with you this afternoon and uh, look forward to following along on Saturday night. I appreciate it. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be outside a great crowd. It's going to be a great uh, conference USA battle, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good one. I'm with you. 71 for the high. That's probably about 65 or so at kickoff. That yeah. is I think, football. I think weather. I read that right. Now, maybe I was uh, hallucinating. Maybe I just uh, wanted it to say 71 degrees was the high, but uh, I think it's going to be cooler. If it's that, it's going to be a great night for football. No question. Thanks, John. Bye, Richard. Thanks.
John Cox, Southern Miss Radio Network from Learfield IMG College on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. I've kind of been wearing out the weather app this week and like keep going back and looking at the forecast for Columbia, which is a little farther to the north, obviously, uh, and, and keep thinking that it's going to play a trick on me and all of a sudden it's going to be hot. I don't think it's going to be hot on Saturday. High of 58 in Columbia, Missouri on Saturday. Hey, Dad, what's the forecast for Knoxville? Have you looked? You got me You got me looking at it right now. We'll have that when we come back. There you go. There's a monster tease. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. A Drexel professor was receiving federal grant money to, in theory, do research that would help in the fields of energy science and uh, naval research. His name? Give it a shot, Borky. <laughs> You're better at this than me. Dr. Chikadanika in Wonkba. Uh, we'll go with that. 56-year-old. Reportedly misappropriated funds issued by the Navy, the Department of Energy, and the National Science Foundation to pay off hefty tabs at gentlemen's clubs and sports bars, sports bars in the greater Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. Drexel, where in Wonkpa worked as head of the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering, discovered the alleged fraud in 2017 during an internal audit and then alerted the government. U.S. Attorney William McSwain, quote, This is an example of flagrant and audacious fraud and a shameful misuse of public funds. The agencies providing these grant funds expect them to be used toward advancements in energy and naval technology for public benefit, not for personal entertainment, close quote. When investigators opened their probe in late 2017, they are said to have found that Nwankpa not only had been engaging in extracurricular escapades, but had not been very subtle about it. According to prosecutors, the professor submitted several improper charges against his federal grants for, quote, goods and services, close quote, billed at strip clubs. Named things like Club Risque, Cheerleaders, and the Taconi Club. I this mean, lasted for a decade. I mean, if, 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 at least it was goods and services and not services rendered. Good point. Well, I think it might be the same thing now, don't you, Mr. Haydad? I mean, you know... How specific were these receipts? I don't know. Investigators also found that he'd been misspending government-issued funds in sports bars and on iTunes. In total, over the course of a decade, Nwankpa was, Dr. Nwampka, was uh, found to have misspent a total of $189,062 that it had been in, uh, had been intended for energy science and naval research. Any massages? He, he, 
Kind of goes without he, saying, doesn't it? He didn't know. spend eight years in evil engineering school for you not to call him doctor, is all I'm saying. Doctor and Wampka. Yeah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. It is. I hate to be hey, the one to tell you. you. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his name is. Here's how it's for. I don't even remember. Chico Danaka, I think, is how I pronounced it. That's pretty good. C H I K A O D I N A K A. First friends name. call him Jim. Jim. Maybe the N silent. Maybe it's just Wonkpa. N W A N K P A. You know, with all this, these these bills, that maybe it was Wankpa. <laughs> Two hundred grand. Did Rippy have to get up? Did he have to get up? That's all I want to know. <laughs> Two hundred grand in misappropriated federal grant money <laughs> to strip clubs and sports bars <laughs> and iTunes. But it makes my day when I make Rippy laugh. He is. Um, you got him. You got him, man. I got him good. I love it. So what's the forecast for Knoxville? <laughs> uh, I'm going to get him again. High of 67, low of 42, 50% chance of rain, humidity 69%. Nice. Yeah. It's a little rainy. Rain but, uh, 60, cool. huh? Let's go. I'll bring a jacket. I'm good with it. How many Mississippi State fans are going to make the uh, trek to Knox Vegas? Was told yesterday at the press conference that MSU has sold 3,200 tickets. Okay. So we'll see if, if that many make the trip. 3,200. How many About Tennessee fans make the trip? I, I got a feeling somebody's crowd shot's going viral because with a lot of, oh, you hate to see that kind of comments. Um, Georgia took a ton of fans. But even with that said, pretty good crowd in Knoxville last Saturday night. Yeah. Wonder if that was Rocky Top's last stand. Ben Ingram will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. We will talk about this really good series between the Braves and the Cardinals that has a deciding Game 5 coming back to SunTrust tomorrow. That's when we continue with you. And the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Tuesday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and check in with the radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves, Ben Ingram. Ben, what's up, man? Hey, man, doing well. How are you? What a week it's been in this NLDS series between uh, between Atlanta and St. Louis. No shortage of drama over the last few days. Yeah, if we have another one like that, they're going to have to put me in a psych ward. It was, that, that game yesterday was unreal, man. We were um, in St. Louis. We finished the game. St. Louis wins in the 10th, and I turned to Joe, and I said, that's so disappointing to lose, but what an amazing baseball game. And, and he said, this has been an incredible series. And uh, just the ups and downs of this series, man, have been incredible. So who knows what we see for game five. It was a, It was a fun last two days in St. Louis. Ben, I know you're the Braves guy, but you also have a uh, a great appreciation for baseball, baseball in the South, Major League Baseball. To see Yadier Molina 
do what he did late in that ball game yesterday, it it seemed really fitting if St. Louis was going to come back and, and get a win for it to be that guy that that kind of was the uh, the catalyst for it. Yeah, I think so. Anytime you're facing St. Louis, it doesn't matter how good or bad of a season Yadier Molina had. That's a guy that you worry about. And if you're scouting that lineup and you're looking for outs, I think you'd easily say that the toughest part is, is certainly Goldschmidt, Ozuna, Molina. And that's really not going out on a limb, given that's the heart of the order. But I say that because I don't need to know what their stats are. I don't need to know that they have their ups or downs or whatever it may be. Those guys are really good ball players, and Molina is the guy to me that just has the magic because he's a winner. I think a lot of the, the same things that that Yankee fans would say about Derek Jeter. I think Cardinal fans would say about Yadier Molina because the guy just wins, and he doesn't go out there and hit. 310 or, or hit 45 home runs or uh, win MVPs of the regular season. But come October, he's as tough as anybody for me. He will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The guy is uh, one of the best catchers we've seen in the history of Major League Baseball. Jorge Posada is the only catcher in the history of the game who's caught more postseason games than Yadier Molina has. Uh, it's very tough to do what he has done. His career has been phenomenal, and I think you worry about him as much as you worry about Ozuna or Goldschmidt with that lineup. Then we've gotten to the point where the Yankees lineup, it's kind of day in, day out lineup, is it's full of household names. If you follow Major League Baseball a little bit with Acuna and Albies and Freddie Freeman and Nick Markakis and Brian McCann, who's been around for a long time, and obviously Dansby Swanson in this part of the country is a name that a lot of people know. But it's Adam Duvall who, in a lot of ways, has kind of stolen the show in this series. He's come up with some awfully big hits. And to me, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong on this, so many times when you get to the postseason that there's some guy that steps up and has multiple big plate appearances that you really didn't see coming that ends up kind of right. being the difference in winning and losing. Well, and you have to have those guys. I mean, if you're looking for examples, Major League Baseball's postseason is littered with guys like that. Look at Steve Pierce, what he did with the Red Sox last yep. season, what Mark Lemke did in 1991, what Edgar Renteria did uh, in the late 90s. I mean, history is filled with guys who weren't the best player on the team or maybe not even one of the top five players on their team who, for whatever reason... Maybe David Freeze in St. Louis. Yeah, Exactly. Um, what Duvall has been for the Braves has been huge for a couple of reasons. Number one, he hasn't started a single game yet. He's put up MVP-like numbers. If the Braves win this thing tomorrow night, uh, this side of, of someone like Swanson or, or Acuna hitting, having a huge game, I think you'd say that Duvall is the MVP of the series right now for the Braves. And, and like I said, hasn't had a single start. That's been really big. Um, it's also been big because Freddie Freeman just isn't himself right now. He won't admit it. He won't tell us as much, but his elbow is hurting. Uh, it, it's affecting his swing. He's changing his swing. I don't think there's any doubt about that, just watching him. So you need other guys to step up, and, and not just the other superstars. It, it, you need guys to come off the bench. You need guys that can come out of the shadows and, and have big-time games. And Adam Duvall has been that. And Go figure. It's one, maybe the last guy who made the roster because it was down to – um, right, or right down to uh, Duvall or Riley for that last spot off the bench, and it was down to Tomlin or Tehran for that last spot in the bullpen. And Duvall was certainly the right choice because he's gotten hot at the right time. He's had a huge series to the point where Snit didn't say today what he's going to do with his lineup tomorrow, but he he told us he's really thinking about making a change. Would not hmm. uh, go any further into that, but that makes me assume that Duvall would be in the starting nine for the first time tomorrow in this series. Is that the right move, or do you like having his ability coming off the bench? 
I, I like having his ability off the bench, but to me, in a game five, a winner take all situation, I want to get that yeah. guy as many ABs as possible. If he's my hot hand, and it's between him or Joyce, I know you're going righty righty, so it kind of goes against the book because Joyce is a left handed batter. Uh, but the Cardinals are, they have a bunch of righties. And maybe you're thinking, okay, if I, if I save Duvall, then uh, what am I saving him for? Maybe 1AB versus Andrew Miller in, in the eighth inning? I'd rather have that guy, the hot hand, in there for three or four ABs rather than the, the, the off chance that he comes in and gets a situation with AB versus a lefty. Uh, that, that to me is, would serve you well. I need as many hands on deck as possible. Joyce hasn't had the greatest series. So maybe you think to yourself, okay, well, I can keep him on the bench. There's a lefty there. A lot of those arms out of the Cardinal bullpens are righties. That gives me a good lefty bat for a righty matchup later in the ballgame. So to me, that's the, the move that I think that he will make. And also, I'm thinking that they could move Swanson up in the order because we've talked about Duvall and all he's done. Well, Swanson's had a pretty big series himself. Yet he's hitting eighth in most of these ball games. So not only is it about playing your hot hands, it's also to me about moving them up closer to the order. Maybe move them up to five and six or six and seven. Uh, try to give them a few more abs and, and see if uh, you can find a way versus Jack Flaherty tomorrow in the final game. Ben Ingram, Braves Radio Network on the Farm Bureau phone line. It feels like just as a baseball fan, period. Whether you're a fan of the Cardinals or the Braves, we are getting a treat tomorrow in that we're getting the same matchup that was so good on the mound on Friday with Fulte and Flaherty going against each other. Fulte goes seven innings, does not give up an earned run, strikes out seven, doesn't walk a batter. Flaherty had a couple of mistakes but was really, really good with eight strikeouts and a walk. Also went seven innings but gave up the three earned runs. Does it feel like we get a duplicate performance from what you had on Friday? I think those those teams feel like you'll see that. I think we'll see a little bit more offense. And the okay. reason is that second time a guy goes out, it's hard to dominate a team twice in a span of five or six days. I mean, just go ask the, the Washington Nationals when they rolled Corbin out of the bullpen again and he gave up, what, six runs and two innings or whatever it was out of the pen. Just didn't work near as well. And it's just so hard to go right back out there, face a team that you just faced, and be equally as good. Now, to me with Fulton Evich, it's all about his fastball. His slider was a really good outpitcher in versus that Cardinal lineup in Game 2, but that's because he put his fastball where he wanted. He was 0-1 on 16 out of the 24 batters that he faced. He didn't allow a single leadoff man to reach the entire uh, start that he was out there. In fact, not a single leadoff man reached that entire game against the Braves. That, to me, was the key. And he was 0-1 constantly with that four-seamer, 95-96, and his slider was really, really good. But if he's not locating that fastball, and, and that's what comes and goes for Volta Devich, as it does with a lot of big league pitchers, they can spit on that slider, and all of a sudden it's 2-0. And then you got to give in, come to him, and they're yeah. going to crush your fastball. Uh, so to me, that first pitch, especially with that heater, is so big for Fultonevich. Uh, and I'd say the same thing for Flaherty. I, I thought Flaherty was, was equally as good as, as Fulte was. He just didn't get any run support, and the Braves won that game 3 nothing. Uh, so the, to me, that is, that's the question. And, and can you roll back out there against a lineup that's familiar with you and your stuff and be equally as impressive? So, um, We'll just have to find out. I mean, it's all about execution. The Braves know exactly what Flaherty wants to do. The, the Cardinals know exactly what Fulton Evans wants to do. Uh, but knowing what you want to do and executing those things are two totally different things. And I think we're going to have a whale of a ball game. These first four games have been great, especially the last three. When, uh, when the Cardinals tied that game in the eighth inning yesterday, I made the call and then just kind of sat back and let the crowd have it, and I could literally feel my legs vibrating. The place was bouncing. Mm. Uh, as the whole press box is moving. So we saw that kind of passion in St. Louis, uh, expecting the same in Atlanta, and just can't even imagine what we're about to experience tomorrow night. 
minute and a half left. I, I talked with somebody earlier today who was complimentary of the call you made, that, that you kind of let the crowd carry it, and, and I think it was a huge compliment. So in the dugout in Atlanta, in the booth in St. Louis, I'll say it because you want you ought to be in the booth all the time, but that's coming down the line. We all know that. So I appreciate it. Dugout reporter gives you an unbelievably unique perspective, being on the field, in the dugout, right there on the edge of the dugout for a playoff game, for those two games in Atlanta. Try and, in a minute, paint the picture of what that's like at field level for a Major League Baseball playoff game. Well, you get to see all the things that are hidden. You get to see the masked emotions that guys think that they can hide from everybody by being underneath the roof of the dugout. And if you want an example of that, you go back to the to the ball game, uh, the first game, where Ronald Acuna thought that he had hit that home run down the right field line. He ends up standing at first base rather than second, and the hustle wasn't there. Well, you you could understand what the reaction might be, but I got to see some things firsthand that I never would have seen. I saw one particular player just dumbfounded with his hands up in the air. I saw another player spike a, a, a big glass of water that he, a, a bottle of water that he was drinking. You see the frustration. And in a game like this, having that kind of a vantage point, being that close, every single play is under the microscope. A leadoff walk, an error, a decision to try to bunt and not get it down, things like that. You see all the ups and downs. And those guys are just run ragged and exhausted by the end of the game just because the emotion of it all is just so intense. And it's really interesting seeing that firsthand from 10, 15 feet away. So to me, that's the thing that – that, that I noticed the most, and, and just seeing how a, a, a coaching staff and a manager navigates through a game, making decisions and trying to figure things out and how to win a baseball game. You're the best, Ben. Thanks, man. You got it, man. Thank you. Really appreciate Ben Ingram from the Braves Radio Network joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Yeah, Ben was... In the booth, in the play-by-play chair for the, uh, the last two ball games, the way they've broken that down during the playoff series, this NLDS, he has been the uh, dugout reporter, field reporter for the uh, the first two games, the home games, and with with Jim Powell in the booth, and then as they've gone on the road. He and Joe Simpson have done the uh, the radio call together. So, just a really good listen. It's hard not to be. Really, really happy for somebody like Ben's success because he grinded his way through minor league baseball. It's not 162 games, but it's what, 148 or 140 and was really good at his job and left a play by play job in, in Mississippi as the, the double A voice of the Braves to go join the Braves radio network. But it was kind of as a, well, we're going to use you some on the pregame show, and we're going to use you some in the postgame show, and and he he's just been good at everything that he's done, and he's likable, and he's easy to get along with, and his colleagues think a lot of him, and it's grown from doing the pre and postgame show for the first couple of years to filling in some and doing a few spring training games, and maybe he would make a road trip to the West Coast or a road trip to the Northeast to. I, you know, I don't know that his business card necessarily says voice of the Atlanta Braves, but he has become the voice of the Atlanta Braves, and it's trending in the direction of there's no debating that that is his job. So good dude, happy for his success, and uh, certainly a fun listen 
if uh, if you catch it on the radio, you can uh, catch Ben, who's got those strong Mississippi ties that we like as uh, as well. Let's talk some football. Yeah, let's talk some hey, football. Hey, Dad. Yes? Borky, where do you want to start? You start with looking at the matchups for the weekend? Yeah, it's a much better weekend, so uh, looking forward to it. South Carolina, Georgia. Georgia, 24 point. Try that again. 24 point favorite at home. Is that the right number? It feels good. Feels about right. We knew going into the season, really. I mean, I guess Florida is a different animal, but you knew going into the season that Georgia was going to be challenged maybe twice before the SEC championship game. And so, yeah, it's a it's a division rival, whatever you want to call it, but it's just another week. Even though South Carolina's playing a little bit better. But, no, that line's about right. Georgia's really good, but their schedule's set up. I mean, we were talking in June about the easy path that Georgia had, and it's coming to fruition for sure. Fishy line alert. Fishy line alert. Proceed with caution. Alabama... 17.5-point favorite at Texas A&M. Why is that fishy? Well, Alabama's looked really, really good. Texas A&M has not looked great. Kyle Field does not seem to provide the home field advantage that lots of people would like you to believe that it provides. I love Alabama on the surface coming off an open date. Headed to College Station. So why is this number only 17 and a half? Did you see uh, the video of Herb Street talking about Kyle Field? Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, just laid it out there. But he's right. I mean, if you actually look at it year to year, A&M's home record has not been good. Um, but this line opened at 13, by the way. So, yeah, everybody's hammering Alabama. That means by the we get to the time we get to Saturday, it could be twenty points. Because I don't think that I don't think seventeen and a half is enough to put push people off of Alabama for this game. I guess the it, presumption it shouldn't be, should it? No, I don't think so. I think Alabama could, will cover that. Go ahead, Borky. Uh, I guess the presumption is that Alabama defensively, I mean, on top of losing a bunch of guys, hasn't really been as suffocating as they have been in the past. They're still very, very good, but. I guess they assume that at home, Texas A&M is also coming off of a bye week for whatever that may be worth to you. Maybe they can put up some points and then Alabama pulls away late to get to this kind of line. I guess that's where they're coming from, but it just doesn't feel like they can keep it close like that. No, it doesn't. And give me a reason that I think that, that I should believe that Kellen Mond is going to be better than he's been so far this year. Can you come up with one? <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, no, there's I mean, no. Uh-uh. He played better than he he's played better last year than this year. So you know, you sort of he has it in him. I don't know that he'll find it against Alabama though. Yeah, I, I tend to uh, tend to agree with you on uh, on that front. Um. The line has moved pretty significantly on um, Missouri and Ole Miss. 
if you were planning on playing Missouri in this game, I hope you got it early when it was at eight and a half. It's gone to twelve. Oof. And that's obviously on the news that Kelly Bryant is going to play and appears to be healthy. But if you liked Ole Miss regardless, then the movement has been positive for you because now you are getting 12 points instead of getting eight or eight and a half. It's a fascinating game uh, because uh, Missouri defensively, are, are they very good or are they a product of the schedule that they've played because... Similarly to Ole Miss, you would imagine that Missouri would like that Wyoming game back, and it would go probably very differently, and probably the same way that Ole Miss and Memphis won. I don't think that the offense that you saw, even though Vanderbilt's much worse than Memphis, is only being held to 10 points in the Liberty Bowl. However, Missouri's rush defense is great. They're they're in the top 10-ish in the country in most statistical categories. Havoc rate, stuff rate, all that advanced statistics stuff. Missouri's defense is very, very good. But is it because since they got ran all over by Wyoming, they played a rebuilding West Virginia who just doesn't have the athletes, Southeast Missouri, South Carolina with a quarterback making his first road start ever, and Troy. So is Missouri a really, really, really good defense, or are their numbers skewed by the schedule that they've played, and now that defense is missing its best player? And on the flip side... That Ole Miss offense scored 31 points in Tuscaloosa, ran all over Vanderbilt this weekend. If Missouri is that good defensively, they have to open it up a little bit more. But do you do that with Plumlee, or do you play both quarterbacks? This is If you're looking for an interesting game this weekend that's kind of off the radar nationally, this is one to watch. A lot of moving parts here. You know, Matt Luke and, and um, Mike McIntyre both on Monday were kind of asked about the the rushing yards that Wyoming put up versus what they've done since. And they both pointed to a couple of long runs that Wyoming had where there were a couple of missed tackles late in the first half. That They kind of skewed that a little bit. So that's part of it. I think your point about the schedule they've played is relevant. Um, West Virginia is better than I thought they would be, so I'll give certainly Neil Brown credit on that front. But Southeastern Missouri, South Carolina, Troy, that doesn't do a whole lot for you. You know, Troy put up a bunch of points in a loss against Southern Miss. Uh, did nothing offensively against uh, against Missouri on uh, on Saturday. To me, the story in this game is clearly he's healthy, but is Kelly Bryant mobile enough to move around just a little bit and buy enough time to try to pick on the Ole Miss secondary? Because if he's able to do that, then it could be a long day for Ole Miss because we know that that's the weakness of the Ole Miss defense. Vanderbilt just had zero ability to throw the ball accurately down the field. Did not exist. They really didn't even try to do it. So I think that's the biggest key in this game. We'll see where it shakes out, though. Generating pass rush to to your exact point is it, uh, they weren't able to do that really against Cal, and that's why Garbers had all day to throw is they couldn't get to him. Yeah, Mississippi State is a six and a half point favorite in Knoxville. Hey, Dad expects all of Mississippi State's defensive guys to play on Saturday. Hey, Dad, if we're just doing this at face value, mm-hmm. just period. 
Mm-hmm. Mississippi State is more than a touchdown better than Tennessee. I would think they are, yes. I just I don't even think it's close. Now, does that mean the game won't be close? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Could Mississippi State lose? Of course they could. But what have you seen from Tennessee that makes you think they're keeping it within six and a half points on Saturday? Are the what what are they going to be able to do against Mississippi State's defense? Is State's defense going to look better with all of the pieces in place on Saturday? Certainly think so. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll look at the rest of the games involving SEC teams and a few national games as well after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. It will go round. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Tuesday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, Rippy will rejoin us in just a little while. LSU is a 13 and a half point favorite at home against the Florida Gators. What do we do with this? That seems really high. Yeah, it I, does. I, I, I like Florida's defense a lot. I, mean, I feel like. I think LSU is going to win, but I think this will be a, a closer game. I like Florida's defense a lot, too. But I really like LSU's offense. Yeah. And I like LSU's offense even more in a game where it feels like they're motivated and locked in and are going to have that crazy home field advantage. Because when's the last time? I mean, has LSU really been locked in since they played Texas? No, Not a, a good chance. Point. No. And and do you remember how good that offense looked against Texas? Yeah. They weren't really stopping Texas, but they just scored at will in, in that game. Since then, it's been Northwestern State, Vanderbilt on the road, and Utah State. And and it's not that LSU's offense has had a, a drop-off in those games. To me, this LSU team is a little bit different because it feels like traditionally LSU kind of piddles around, like kind of plays with its food when Northwestern State comes to town or Georgia Southern rolls into town or, you know, Utah State would have been a very easy play with your food 11 a.m. LSU game where they win 28 to 12 and move on in the past. I just don't see anybody holding this LSU offense to 28. Now, flip side, hey, that LSU's defense has given up some points. They didn't give up much against Utah State this past weekend. Right. Bandy put some but points you, on them. Utah Texas State moved put the ball some points a little bit, on them. too. They just couldn't get in the end zone. Utah State moved the ball a little bit. They just had some turnovers and, and just couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, You trust Kyle Trask? Nah, not in Tiger Stadium. I don't know that I would trust Felipe Franks, to be totally honest. I might trust Kyle Trask more than Felipe Franks. Well, I mean, I'm just saying I don't, <laughs> I don't trust either trust either one of those. Florida's offense is not good, and that's why they're not going to be able to win this game. Defensively, they're good enough to win the game. But the problem is that they just can't. LSU's going to get some points. I don't know that Florida can keep up with them. Who has the coaching edge? Florida. 
I would take Mullen Mullen as a coach over Orgeron. But LSU has Well they have the they have Brady Singer up there or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> I mean they have this newfound passing game coordinator that's caused them to really open things up and uh, presumably even though as you guys have mentioned haven't been great on that side of the ball this year one of the best defensive coordinators if not the best defensive coordinator in all of college football. So beyond Orgeron, that who do you think like has Dave the Aranda's flying low, flying under the radar? A little bit. Yeah. If, if you're going entire staffs, I would give LSU staff the edge. But when you start talking about coaching comparison, man, it's, Mullen's really good. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the rosters were flipped, would Dan Mullen lose a football game this season? Just hypothetical. If he had LSU's roster, would he lose a football game this season with their schedule? Yeah. He would lose to Alabama. Yeah. The, that's a fascinating question to me, Borky. I don't think even with LSU's roster, Dan Mullen would be calling plays the way that LSU's calling plays. Yeah, Burrow wouldn't fit what Mullen wants to do. To be totally honest, It'd be sort of what happened with State when they had Tyler Russell. Not that you know Burrow is obviously better than Tyler Russell, but and a better runner and better athlete. But but yeah. still, yes, he his his most success has come when he's had a quarterback who could run the football effectively. Not that and Burrow is a, a decent runner, but I don't know that he's a I'm going to give you 20 carries a game guy. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Charles and Meridian wants to know how AM boosters will react if they lose to Alabama and fall out of the top 25 in year two of Jimbo Fisher. Well, they're going well, they, to lose to Alabama, and if that means they're falling out of the 25, they better get ready for it. They can get mad and get glad in the same pants they got mad in. They owe them $75 million. Doesn't matter what happens yeah. on Saturday. You going nowhere? I, I, I'm not as dismissive as some are of this, but I've heard a lot of people say, and I, I tend to agree with this, that this year never mattered. Yeah. I mean, it kind of mattered from an optic standpoint, but it's next year when things start to really matter in College Station. I would agree. And after next year, he would still have seven years left on that massive contract. Tr- true or false, Jimbo Fisher makes it past year seven of this contract. False. I agree. Yeah, they have, and it's a money thing, but they have a very overinflated sense of program worth. I mean, you can build a nice big stadium, but what does that really get you? Jeff on I-55 wants to know if you think LSU will attempt to break the scoreboard Saturday after losing to Florida the last two years. That's the other thing about this game. These two teams hate each other. Mm-hmm. This is the first, you remember, this is the first game back in Baton Rouge. And they, they, they've played two straight in Florida, right? Right. Because of the, the, the hurricane switcheroo. Yep. So, And I don't think that, any of the dislike has gone away just because Jeremy Foley and Joe Oliva are gone. No. No. So... Vandy at UNLV, or I'm UNLV at Vandy. Vanderbilt is a uh, 15-point favorite. UNLV is not good. They've, they've only got one win, and it's over Southern Illinois. They lost to Arkansas State by by uh, a 43-17 margin. 
Vanderbilt's also not good. So, what happens when a movable object meets a resistible force? The end of the world? Oh, God, don't talk like that. Kentucky is six-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Arkansas? I, you may think I'm crazy here. I kind of like Arkansas in this game. I took Arkansas on the uh, podcast. Well, there you go. How healthy is Sawyer Smith? If he's That's still shot putting the ball, they're not winning a, another I think, game. Yeah, I just don't know what Kentucky has at quarterback. So, And I thought... I know it's, this A&M game is so weird for Arkansas. They keep finding a way to make them close. But they looked relatively competent. That might be enough to beat Kentucky. Relatively competent. Usually not the compliment you're looking for about your football team, but um, maybe Considering where they've been it. prior to that, you would take relatively competent. What about these national games? Um, Texas getting 10.5 in Red River. Seems it's a lot of points. Yeah. In that game. Yeah. I mean, Texas beat them last year. Texas you... is better than they were a year ago. Not that Oklahoma's not, you know, still good, but. Have you seen this back and forth with Jalen Hurts and the Texas players? Jalen Hurts was asked, I guess it was yesterday, about how, you know, are you going to be prepared for the atmosphere? That's the Red River shootout. And his reply was, I played in the Iron Bowl, I've played in some big games, I'll be okay. And now Texas players are firing back with, oh, well, he's never played Texas before. It's it's more physical football here. He's never played Texas. He doesn't know what's coming. It's like, do you, you won a national championship. You won an SEC championship. What, what are you talking about? And reporters are following in line with this, too. People that cover Texas are like, yeah, the Iron Bowl is nothing like the Red River shootout, as if half the stadium isn't wearing red in support of Jalen Hurts. It's just mind-blowing to me. Silliness. It's just ridiculous. Just silliness. Clemson's a 27-point favorite at home against Florida State. Notre Dame is an 11-point favorite at home against Southern Cal. Iowa is getting 4.5 at home against Penn State. All right, so here's what I need to know. Iowa scored three. That's correct. Not three touchdowns, not three field goals, three points against Michigan. Michigan's defense is good. They scored three. Penn State has quietly looked really good this year. Um... Their what am I missing here other than it's just a little weird and Penn State seems to have one of those games every year and it's at night at Kinnick? Nothing I saw when I watched Iowa and Michigan told me that Iowa was going to be able to do any kind of scoring against Penn State. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Tuesday. Take a quick time out. Be back to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour in the Renaissance Bank. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land to make the ceasefire text line is open to you. One of the best new phones is here. 
And C Spire celebrating with a fully loaded deal. Buy the latest phone and get another one for free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. C Spire, customer inspired. 601-879-4395 is the number. Is this weekend the best slate of games we've had so far this year? Like as a whole? Maybe so because you know we didn't have the we didn't really have that great week one slate with a bunch of uh, power five matchups all across the board, and then you know week two all we really had was LSU and Texas. So yeah, I mean this is probably the one. If Michigan yeah. State was better, and Washington State hadn't stumbled a couple of times, this would be a really good weekend because Michigan State's in Wisconsin this weekend, and Washington State's at a ranked Arizona State. Yeah. Arizona State up to number 18 in the country. Washington State's lost back-to-back games, and we've had upset, frustrated, my team is not tough Mike Leach. I can't ever decide how Mike Leach teams are going to bounce back from one of his rants. And did they go find toughness in the open date? After just kind of laying down in their last game? Vegas seems to think so. They're only a one-point underdog on the road. Frozen mixture in uh, Minneapolis for Nebraska and Minnesota on Saturday night. Ugh. 39 degrees at kickoff, and they've got the little cloud emoji with rain and snow flurries. Let's go. Which makes you just, why did you build the stadium outside? Home field advantage. Wait, you're against that forecast, Morgie? I mean, I will like watching it on TV, but if you're trying to get people to show up to your game and watch it and spend money with you, why do you have a stadium outside? Oh, Minnesotans love that kind of weather. 39? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they like to have that in the soda. They used to have a dome. It was great. And then snow caved the roof in, but they built them a new one. Just use the, what is it, the Lando Lakes Stadium, whatever it is in Minneapolis. Use that. Lando Lakes Stadium? Isn't that what they had? It's There's a big advertisement of Lando Lakes. It's, uh, it's deli meat. Um, it's no, it's butter. not. It's butter. Or whatever. It's something that you get in the deli aisle. But it was uh, on the, uh, a big... Uh, <laughs> the but Borky, not the deli aisle. The dairy, the dairy, the dairy aisle. aisle. Oh, whatever. I mean, you know, I remember I, the old I, commercials, Lando Lakes, bread and sweet cream. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever seen that. By the way, it's a bank that the stadium. Yeah, U.S. Bank after. Stadium, but they have that huge, or they they did when they opened. It, they had that huge next to the the home lower bowl on the side. Doesn't matter. Minnesota could have used that. Instead, their fans are going to sit out and watch bad football when it's sleeting on them. That's stupid. Hey, they're ranked. That's not going to be a good football game. Probably not, no. Um, I have my own text line. I yeah, was but, just but, but Land of Frost is what you're thinking about, Borky. Land of Frost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Land of Lakes. <laughs> Land Lakes is butter with the Indian on it. Yes. Um. So Lando Frost. Yeah, that's ex- yeah. Oh wait, no, it is. 
Land O'Lakes named founding partner of U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, huge. So he was both right and wrong at the same time. I knew it was Land O'Lakes. I just didn't remember did what they sold. They, they just have some in-stadium signage. It's big, <laughs> they don't have their name on the outside of the stadium. <laughs> um, what was I going to say about all of that? In the, uh, oh, only knows. no, 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 no. You, you said, why did they build it? They built that stadium long before it was ever approved for U.S. Bank Stadium to be built. Because you remember when U.S. Bank was being built, the Vikings played for a year at um, at Minnesota. At yeah. Minnesota Stadium, they which had is the, also named for a bank and a TD something. I don't know. But they, they had that, I don't remember what the other dome was called, but the, the roof of that dome. The Metrodome. The Metrodome. It caved in because of snow, and snow poured all over the field. TCF Bank Stadium. Glad we don't banks have... in Minneapolis with money to spend on naming rights. <laughs> um, I learned on Sunday every stadium should be a dome. Every single one of them. I, I went down a stadium images rabbit hole, and if I were I paint myself as like Mark Zuckerberg, without going to Harvard and actually finishing and having an affinity for a school, I would go to my school and I would say, we're tearing down the football stadium and we're building a brand new one, but it's going to look like a soccer stadium in Europe. Because those stadiums are so cool. Yep. So cool. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Five o'clock hour on this Tuesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Find them online at mslandbank.com. Go there if you are in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs. Buying equipment, buying a piece of property, refinancing an existing loan, getting a production loan, whatever it is that you need money help with, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do. It's what they've been doing for a really long time, like a little bit more than a century. mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. It is time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Walk on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Get behind the wheel of an F-150. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We have updated national title odds Alabama and Clemson tied for the best odds to win it all, 11-4. to So that's a little worse than 3-1 to on the odds for Bama and Clemson. Ohio State has now jumped Georgia at 11-2. to Then you've got Georgia and LSU at 7-1. to Oklahoma at 9-1. to Florida at twenty to one, Wisconsin twenty five to one, Penn State thirty three to one. Pick somebody to win the championship, not named Alabama or Clemson. LSU. Okay, that would be, that would be where I would put my. Boy, you haven't just you haven't just come around on Joe Burrow. You just picked LSU to win the national championship. If if, if you had to pick somebody, pick Alabama, not named or Alabama or Clemson. 
Yeah, I think they would beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they look fierce, man. They look tough. Man, how cool an SEC championship game would that be? LSU versus Georgia? Yeah. Be great. Be a lot of, lot of talent on the field. Same as lot the same thing with Alabama, Alabama, but still. Yeah. Ohio State? And they're good. That would be yeah, my they're... pick. They seem Has very Oklahoma complete. got problems? Like, I mean, Oklahoma's so, been really good, but there's, there's the something Oklahoma. There. Do you Do you trust Oklahoma to get stops when you need them? Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. All right, so here you go. We talked about this story earlier. There will be no horns down controversy during Red River. Lincoln Riley found a way to handle the horns down controversy that has lingered in the Big 12. He was asked on Monday how he will address the issue with his team as the Sooners and the Longhorns get ready to meet at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Riley simply said, our players won't do it. That's it. So, is it as simple as that? He says to the media, we're not going to do it. And at some point he says to his players, hey, none of that horns down crap. Go out and just beat them. Is that, is that how that works? I think that's how it's going to work. Until you have a two-touchdown lead with a minute 30 left and you get your team together and say, hey, guys, go across the field, shake their hands, and then drop the horns down to everyone in sight in this stadium right now. Turning the Longhorns Hook'em Horns sign upside down became a hot topic before last season's Texas OU rematch in the Big 12 championship game. After Lincoln Riley said that he had been told by officials that the Sooners could not do that or they would be penalized. Greg Burks, who's the Big 12 coordinator of officials, said at Media Days this past summer that a player likely would not be called for a penalty if he quickly flashed the horns down signal after scoring a touchdown. But prolonged displays or those directed toward an opposing player or at the opponent's bench would be penalized. Burke says, I know people want us to be definitive on that, but it's like any touchdown celebration. Is it directed at an opponent or just celebration with your teammates? This goes back, as I told you earlier, to Mac Brown. 2012, Mac Brown addressed it after a Texas-Texas Tech game. He said, the horns down is disrespectful. We ought to talk about that as a league. Horns down in the list of things that are disrespectful in college football is not terribly high on the list for anybody who doesn't have burnt orange underwear. Even those people shouldn't be bothered by it. I just wouldn't think so. And the Big 12 is like the hand signal league also. They've all got got a hand signal. Yeah. Why is that? Surely you've got a theory on that, Rippy. I don't think everybody does. Almost everybody does. Texas Tech and Texas. Texas Tech goes guns up. TCU, TCU. does the the little 
Horn Frogs. Texas Baylor is has obviously. One. Say what? Baylor has one. Is it a bear claw? Yeah, they do a yeah. claw. Texas A and M has the thumbs up to gig them. Yeah, Houston does a claw too. Hey, hey, Dad, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Texas A and M is actually part of the SEC. I'm just saying that all of these Texas schools, Texas schools, Houston's not in the in the Big Twelve either. I'm just saying. I know. Uh, in Oklahoma, they wave the wheat. What? You never Oklahoma seen a state. I'm sorry, at Oklahoma State, they wave the wheat. Yeah. When they score a touchdown, like everybody puts their hand, they like float back and forth like they're waving wheat. I've been to a game there. Never noticed that. You've been to a game at Oklahoma State. I have. For what? A buddy of mine when I was a young kid. His family was an OSU alum. I went to Sam Bradford's last game there. I forget who was playing quarterback for Oklahoma State. It's like 60-something to 40. So when he did that flip in the end zone. Wait, who won? Oklahoma. Oklahoma won. What did you think of that stadium? Des Bryant was playing. What did I think of the stadium? Very Big 12-ish. Sideline. Zach Robinson. tight there. Yeah, that sounds right. He had a big day. 61-41. What a game. Yeah, who could forget? Was it like four degrees? It was pretty cold. I don't remember how cold. You don't remember them waving the wheat? I do not. They had, the student section had some weird paddles that they would slap. Yeah. Whenever uh, someone scored a touchdown, and then they would scream, uh, Orange Power. Like, call and answer. Like, one side would scream orange, and the other side would scream power, that type deal. Yes. This was, this was a heck of a game. It was 37-26. 37-26 going into the third going into the fourth quarter and finished 61-41. It was 44-41 and then Oklahoma scored touchdown, field goal, touchdown in the final 7 minutes of the game. This was a good game. I had a great time. Did you? Yeah. What year was that? 08. Yeah, 08. Great year for me. Were we 12? 13. Uh, were you really? Yeah, I was 13 in 08. Hmm. Good for you. Yeah, it's great. Have you been to any other stadiums outside the SEC? NRG. Um, you've surely been to the Superdome, right? Oh, you're talking about just going? Well, I mean, I was talking about college in particular, but... I don't know if I've ever been to another non-SEC college football game other than that. Yeah. You can text the show. Ceasefire text line's open, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Think we'll get an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in that game for Horns Down? I hope so. Yes. You do, Porky. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's what makes that games like that fun. Suddenly, the NFL is becoming more fun and more flexible than college football. That's and that should never be that way. Rippy, we walked through the lines while you were gone a second ago. Is this Alabama A and M line fishy? Seventeen against two. Alabama's only a seventeen oh, point oh, favorite. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, where's the game? College Station. I don't know. Alabama's got problems defensively. LSU's a 13.5 point favorite at home against Florida. 
Wasn't there some initial report that was like four, and then the next morning like a bunch of them were at 13? That made no sense to me. I thought the initial report was it was like 14 or like big. Maybe so. I don't remember. And then Penn State is only a four and a half point favorite at Iowa. Seems a little odd as well. Nate Stanley, gunslinger. A pop gun, maybe. <laughs> Back with you. We'll talk some baseball after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. All ends with beginnings. Tuesday afternoon. Light night of baseball. I guess that's the disadvantage to one team sweeping is all of a sudden you don't have games on in the afternoon anymore. Uh, big game tomorrow night in Atlanta with uh, Braves and Cardinals. So, Rippy, let's unpack this one tonight. The uh, Major League Baseball game, Houston and Tampa Bay. Verlander on the mound for Houston. And not Verlander on the mound for Tampa Bay in this game. What do we need to know? Yankees-Astros should be fun. Diego Castillo on the mound for the Rays. The Rays send this back to Houston. Do they get it to even at 2-2? No. Houston, big favorite as well. I mean, I guess you never know, but I would be shocked. Who's the best player for Houston? Best player or best pitcher? Player. Bregman? I, I was curious if you were ready to go that route. Like, no doubt? Yes. Not close. Bregman is hitting 444 in the playoffs. Seems pretty good. That's almost half the time for those of you doing finger math at home. <laughs> Jose Altuve's got a couple of home runs. Um, if I'd asked you that two years ago, Carlos Correa would have been the answer, right? Probably. Altuve's been good for a long time, but... Alex Bregman, third year in Major League Baseball. Hit two ninety six this season with 40 home runs and 112 runs batted in. In three years in the big leagues, he is a two eighty six hitter with 99 bombs and 320 ribbies. It's been a couple weeks in the minor leagues. His ascent to the big leagues was fast, wasn't it? Like 18 months after his last college game. He's 25 years old and is playing his basically his third full season. At what point... Hey, Dad, I mean, you remember watching him. I think most people thought, oh, yeah, he's probably a big leaguer. But I don't know if anybody predicted he would be this good this fast. No, I don't I don't think so. But I mean you knew he had the tools. I mean, and it's not like, you know, coming from that program that you, you would have thought you would have been surprised if they put out a major leaguer and they they put out plenty of them. Um but yeah, for him to be as good as he is, I don't know that anybody saw that coming. All right, Rippy, I, let, me, let me throw one at you, see if I can get you to think on it and not just give me an immediate answer. Although you may have an immediate answer. More valuable to their team this year in terms of former LSU players in the big leagues. Alex Bregman or DJ LeMahieu? LeMahieu. Meant more to the Yankees because he could do more things? Yeah. Given their injury issues? Yes. I was about to say the injury issues, then you said it. Sorry. No, by all means. I was afraid I wasn't going to get any more words out of you, and so I was trying to flesh it out a little bit. 
So your solution to getting Moore's words out of me was stealing them. <laughs> I just assumed you were done. No, I yeah, no, I would agree, and that's probably mostly why. I mean, they both be catastrophic loss, not catastrophic. Both would be huge holes to fill if they both went down. But I would think the Yankees it would be harder to recover from. But they proved to be deeper. Yeah, and and this was that year where everything kind of worked for the Yankees. That, that you know, they call up a guy because somebody's injured, and bam, he hits like crazy. They pick a guy that other teams have given up on, and Cameron Maben's really valuable all of a sudden. Arshella comes up, and he's really good. Lemayhu has a career year. And LeMahieu might be the most versatile guy. Hmm. Is he the most versatile player in the in the big leagues right now? He's played first, second, third. Probably given the high level of production. There's probably guys that can do different things, probably not like more things, but not at the same level. Not that he does like not that he's limited at all, but I don't know. He's probably the runner-up for AL MVP, I would think. Behind. Bregman. Yeah. So you think Bregman's the MVP this year? I do. Not close? I mean, it's close. I got other guys that had pretty good years, but I think he'll win it. Like You can always get kind of a lean who's probably going to win it. Of course, I say that and I could be wrong. Who on the National League side? Bellinger? Yeah, probably. I mean, Acuna went on the ascent from July-ish on, really. Maybe even slightly before that. Maybe I'm misremembering You know what happens if Yelich doesn't go down. I don't know. I know that was only a couple weeks left of the season, but I'd probably say Cody Bellinger. Yeah. You... So, so you've got Bregman 1, LeMahieu 2... Which means the best player in baseball is third? Yeah. But I mean, Mike, Mike Trout? But it's kind of like the... It's different than the LeBron thing, but it's kind of the same as the LeBron thing. He could have won it all the you know, last couple of years. I mean, like again, this year, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Cardinals-Braves game five tomorrow. It's been a, it's been a fun series. Cardinals get game one, Braves get two and three, Cardinals get four yesterday, walk-off fashion. Third time in franchise history that they have gotten a walk-off win in an elimination game. Last one was a little more dramatic than, than last night's. Uh, I thought it was a little fitting that you know we talked so much about Yadi Molina at the end of the show. Uh, he gets the tying base hit in the bottom of the eighth, and then he gets the sack fly that wins it in the uh, the bottom of the tenth. Um. How does Game 5 go? I think the Braves should win and the Braves are a better team, but I'm actually going to throw all logic in the garbage can and say the Cardinals win because these are the types of games it seems like Braves have tend to lose recently. And, like, the Cardinals would... Like, this would very much equal out to, like, a Cardinals winning a game that you look up after the ninth inning and, like, how in the world did they win the game and move on? Braves are much definitely a better team. I hope that's not the case. This was partly meant just to kind of twist the knife in the Braves fans that I know. Cardinals won game one seven to six. Braves win three to zip, three to one, and then yesterday in ten innings, five four. Tomorrow afternoon, four o'clock central time, first pitch 
for Game 5, elimination game. Season's over for one of those two teams. And it's two good teams. You're not even remotely surprised that Atlanta is there. It's still a little surprising that the Cardinals is there. Not that the Cardinals are in the postseason because they kind of have lived in the postseason forever. They're the least talented of the Cubs and the Nationals. I Excuse me, Cubs and the Brewers, like out of those three. They're so how did they win it? Scrappy. Yeah, I got max got- production out of guys like at the plate that like probably squeezed every drop of production they could have out of some guys. Um, at least to my knowledge, stayed relatively healthy on the mound. So, you know, just one of those. And the the Cubs and the Brewers also underperformed for much of the year. Have y'all seen this thing going around on the internet? People are sort of you know taking shots at the Cubs for trading Torres for for uh, Chapman in sixteen. Yeah, but that deal was about one thing and one thing only. It's exactly. about winning a World Series. Yeah, I don't see how you can hit the Cubs for that. They won the World Series. Yeah, it was a win. Like, Chapman tried to get re-signed, and they just kind of laughed. Like, sorry, no. Yeah. I've just seen a bunch of people tweeting about it, like, oh, what a terrible deal the Cubs made. And they, they won the World Series. Well, people don't like uh, to put context with things on the Internet. I mean, if you're the Cubs, you make that deal ten more times to get the same result. Yeah, they won you the You would whole think thing. so, yeah. Yeah. And then the Yankees were happy to get him back. Yeah. Worked out for all sides. If you want to do the win the trade, lost the trade thing, but I don't think you can really do that with a deal like that. Yeah. The the thing about, okay, so the Yankees last night, they, they, they clipped the Twins. The, the question looking ahead, assuming that the Astros win against the Rays, has been Astros pitching against the Yankees' offense. But the Astros can swing it, and with Severino back in the mix, the Yankees can pitch it. I'm not sure that the philosophy, though, of four innings out of your starter works nearly as well in a seven-game series. I mean, you probably go a little deeper into your bullpen, but that's kind of what postseason baseball affords you the ability to do, I guess. Yeah. Should be fun, and, and and certainly the Yankees are deep in the bullpen. They got a bunch of a bunch of options. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.